Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome. It's good to see you this morning. Today's episode of The God Questions comes to you from Central Park in New York City. And uh, let me begin like this. I had a conversation with a guy a while back that had no religious background whatsoever. And he had an interesting question that I'm surprised that I haven't heard more over the years. This is what he said to me. What's the deal with all the religious ritual? He said, I'm assuming it makes sense to someone, but I just don't get it. And it brought about a pretty lively conversation, but he had a really, really good point. Christianity Church, it does have a lot of ritual, and from the outside looking in, it must appear pretty strange. I mean, think about this. Sitting, standing, kneeling, singing, reciting, quiet. Eating, drinking, not eating, not drinking, singing, reading, praying, reciting, quiet. And that's just us. That's not even bringing in other environments which include like hats and robes and candles and incense and statues and beads and stuff like that. The list goes on and it's a lot to take in. Well, today's teaching might be just a little bit uncomfortable for some, but it does have the capacity to widen your understanding and not just in spiritual things, but to help us see how life gets lived well. Now, I came to personal faith in Jesus in the late 70s as a teenager, and I grew up in the midst of the Jesus movement, which was a movement that was throwing off all the religious shackles of the previous generations. Some watching this might remember that season, that time. Christianity had gotten quite formal, and church had become very intertwined with American culture. Uh, being a good American had almost become synonymous with, be, with being a good Christian. Now, the Jesus movement and all the streams that flowed out of that unilaterally rejected almost everything that defined the generation prior. The formality, the traditions, the dress, the ritual, the music, the liturgy, the architecture, list goes on. So for an average Protestant walking into one of these new environments, instead of entering a formal sanctuary that was filled with organ music, suits and ties, and printed liturgical readings and so on, they began entering into very informal auditoriums. There were people in jeans and t-shirts and electric guitars and video screens and uh, pastors in jeans who said stuff like, man, I'm not preaching to you today. I just want to talk to you, you know, is that cool? <laughs> and they put lots of emphasis on the times when Jesus was railing on the Pharisees for preferring their, their religious traditions over what they felt like God really cared about. Now, for a young guy like me back then, what I got from all that over time was this thought. Well, anything ritualistic or traditional in nature is like the enemy. So I embraced anything that was anti-tradition. Now, granted, I was in a charismatic environment, and I know that not all denominations were as, as extreme in their rejection of ritual. But just about every denomination made their changes. Why? For fear of getting left behind. Now. I'm not old and wise, but I am older and wiser, and I can see much more clearly now, looking back, that Christianity is not anti-tradition, not at all. We do well to just keep tradition in perspective. Tradition has a place. Ritual has a place. And this is actually what I'm going to be leaning into today. This is more important than we think, and that's where I'm going. Now, there was a sociologist by the name of Emile Durkheim, one of the great sociologists of all time. And he said, in order to know where we come from, 
then we need traditions and rituals. And he was real big on outlining the role of tradition and ritual in the lives of people. And he said these words, which I thought were really good. He said, the more traditions that a group has, the more rituals that a group has, the higher the level of solidarity, the higher the level of unity of that group. Now think about this. Our world is made up of people groups of all kinds. Some are temporary, like teams and clubs and fraternities and platoons and life groups. Some are much more lasting, like families, extended families, church relationships. Think about this. Coaches build ritual into practices and into pregame routines. Fraternities and sororities have songs and platoons have chants and certain nicknames and things like that. Families have certain holiday routines. Churches have a nomenclature, sometimes a recurring phrase like, go in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and remember, and most of you can probably fill in the rest of that sentence. It's a ritual, it's a tradition. Now, it's important for us to understand that God's word overflows with indicia of tradition and ritual, actually commanded by God himself. 144 times the Bible shows us God commanding his people to remember something. Remember my covenant, remember my works, remember my word, remember my promises, remember my death, remember my deliverance. Jesus, God is saying, don't forget, don't forget. And lots of times God has his people build an altar, build a building, or do some type of recurring activity in order to help them remember. God established traditions. Okay, now this truth carries over into everyday life. Certainly it's true of family life. And although lots of traditions and regular happenings have been disrupted in a major way through our society's response to the coronavirus, there is this gravitational pull towards what can be depended upon, towards things that are established, like family tradition, family ritual. For example, growing up in my family, there was always a very special way of celebrating Christmas. While we were still Catholic, our whole family would open up one present, just one present on Christmas Eve, and then we would all go to midnight mass. When we came back, we would open up all the rest of the presents. We did this every year. And some might say, wait a minute, a family with six little kids and everybody's going to midnight mass? How in the world did you pull that off? Well, the answer to that is easy. We always do it this way. As we got older and we all came to personal faith in Jesus, we no longer did the midnight mass thing, but now we have all, all have families of our own and so on. So for years and years, we have all gathered still on Christmas Eve. I mean, 25, 30 of us gathered in the living room of my brother's big house, and one by one, we go around, we open a single present, one at a time, hear who it's from, see what it is, make a comment or ask a question, crack a joke, whatever, and then we move on to the next person. And I tell people about this tradition and they would say, how could everyone, especially kids, be so patient? And the answer to that is very easy. We always do it this way. Rituals and traditions are like that. There are certain things that you always do the same way. You might think, that would have taken hours. Did it take hours to open? Yep, it certainly did. <laughs> and you might think that's awful. But I think what's awful is letting the kids just dive into the presents, shred up everything, tear everything away in a frenzy, and in three minutes, Christmas is over. It took two months of shopping and preparation and wrapping and hiding and all this kind of stuff. And if someone went to the bathroom at the wrong time, they missed Christmas for the entire year. 
Ritual draws it out. It heightens the drama, the appreciation. Plus, no gifts get thrown out because they were buried in a pile of, mount of wrapping paper. <laughs> it was just it's like, wait, where the headphones go? I knew we had new headphones here somewhere. Gone. So Christmas Eve is always like that. You say, always? Always. It's a ritual. We always do it this way. We still do. It has been decades. And you might say, why? Why would you do that? It's obvious. We want family to stay tight. And one way to make sure of that is to build in ritual. In some funny way, we're sort of like the Pavlovian dogs. You know, this is Christmas. This is how we do it. Now, Thanksgiving is probably the most ritualistic day in American life, isn't it? On Thanksgiving, we all sit down at the same table. We eat the same food. We do the same sorts of activities. People have the same comments. Hey, great stuffing. What's in the stuffing? Same thing as last year, dummy. It never changes. It's always the same. But here's, here's something that's kind of common that happens in families around Thanksgiving. Kind of a common scene. A 19-year-old is away at college, and there's a call on the phone maybe two weeks before Thanksgiving. Mom answers her phone and says, hey, honey, good to talk to you. Looking forward to seeing you in two weeks for Thanksgiving. And there's a long pause on the phone and the son says, well, mom, that's why I called. Some of the guys got together. It's been real tense and tough up here at school and we kind of need to blow off some steam. So we're all thinking that we might go to the beach over the break and just kind of chill and take in some rays. All the guys are doing it. And a long pause is on the phone while mom tries to keep it together. But John, we always have Thanksgiving together. And he says, mom, come on, it's no big deal. It's just this one time, it's not the end of the world. Well, maybe this mom has not studied sociology or read Emile Durkheim, but she knows it's the end of something. She just knows it. Because the breaking of the ritual means something is lost. Everyone else will still be there. They'll sit in the same places, eat the same food, same turkey, same stuffing. But about halfway through the meal, someone says it. You know, it's just not the same without John here. And it's true. It's not the same, and maybe it never will be quite the same. Rituals are precious. Now, it's unrealistic, really, to expect that all traditions will stay in place. Most have to be broken, of course, or at least modified. The group has to shift so new families can begin. But it still hurts a little bit because rituals are precious things. Tradition reminds us of things that must not be forgotten. And there are some things that can stand the test of time. I mean, think about weddings for just a moment. I've probably done hundreds of weddings over the years, and I love doing them. And occasionally I'll run into a couple who wants to write their own vows. They say, we want to get married, Pastor, but we want to make up our own vows. Can I just say, <laughs> I hate that. I think it's terrible. And lots of people disagree with me on this. And I could be wrong, but I'm not. <laughs> but I hear these young couples who write their own vows, and it's like, they're not vows. It's like, oh, Heather, uh, from the moment I met you, I knew that you were the one. You are so beautiful. You make me feel like I can fly to the moon. We both like pizza and we both like puppies. And that's really cool. Amen. That's not a vow. That's a bad poem. <laughs> so I tend to insist on the traditional vows or at least a version of the traditional vows for a wedding that I officiate. And I've had a couple say to me, uh, I don't think you understand here. We're the ones getting married. I say, no, you're not. You're wrong. You're not the only ones getting married. Every married couple in the room is getting remarried because as people sit back in the congregation and watch you going through all this, 
They're going back in their minds 10 years, 20 years, 50 years, reliving the day that they stood up there making those very same vows. See what ritual does? It takes something that happened a long time ago and makes it contemporaneous. We need our traditions and our rituals. They deepen us as a people. Now think about the different people groups of the world. Who are some of the most ritualistic people on earth? The Jewish people. Their lives are filled with tradition and ritual. If you don't believe me, just ask Tevye, right? And because of our traditions, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. Tradition! So Tevye says, traditions, because of our traditions, we know who we are, where we come from, and what life is all about. Now, to be clear, this is much more a commentary on their closeness to one another as a community than it is about their closeness to God. That's a separate issue. But the point is, ritual creates unity. You know, the life of Jesus was filled with ritual and tradition. All the feast days, the trips to the synagogue, special meals, special readings, treks to the temple for the shared, recurred worship experiences, just abundant ritual in his life. Even today, both Jews and non-Jews know about a thing called the Seder Feast. Lots of non-practicing Jews still observe the Seder Feast that's associated with Passover. Some of them may not even believe in God, but they say, yeah, but we're Jewish. And the rituals keep them Jewish. There's a high level of solidarity and unity because of it. Again not commenting on their relationship with God right now. I'm talking about solidarity as a people, unity as a people. You know, when there's a crisis in Israel, money from Jewish people across the globe flows in to help them. Why? Because they, that's our people. That's our people. All right, so Jewish people have much greater ritual than Christians, but among the Christians, the Roman Catholics have a lot more ritual than Protestants, don't they? You ever notice that? Uh, if you're ever Catholic like I was, then you would know because every Sunday appeared to be about the same. Sit, kneel, stand, recite the Lord's Prayer, recite the Hail Mary, say, and also with you a few times. Now, while some of that is not optimal, the truth of the matter is that, is that Catholics understand ritual. And by and large, that is what has held the Catholic Church together for so many centuries. And I know very, very well that they've had serious issues and they continue to. And again, not a commentary on their closeness to God. That's an individual thing. But if you actually listen to the Mass, there are lots of good truths that the people are reminded of regularly through the ritual, through the Mass. So we can see the power of healthy traditions and rituals. Sociologists say this. They say that tradition is the ultimate educator. We remember these things because they're meaningful and they are a constant in our ever-changing world. One last thought. You know, when Jesus asked us to remember his death, he wrapped it up in a ritual. And every time we take the bread and drink the cup, we remember his words. When he said, do this in remembrance of me. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you remember my death until I come again. Ritual reminds us of what must not be forgotten. Jesus told us to remember. Now, to be clear, we need more than rituals to be a Christian. Jesus not only wants to remind you that his body was broken and his blood was shed, but he wants 
all of us to know that it was for us. It was for you. It was for you so that you can be forgiven by him. So you could be cleansed and made whole and you can walk with God and know God. You can be forgiven, made new, where God's banner over you says, not guilty, cleansed, loved, treasured child of God. You know, maybe you've lived with God at a distance so far. Maybe you've never fully understood that the sacrifice that Jesus paid on the cross was not partial. It wasn't just a nice down payment that you need to pay the rest of it with your impressive religious life. No, that is just a lie that religion tries to sell. When Jesus expelled his last breath, he said these words, it is finished. That could also mean paid in full, meaning it's all been paid for, your sins, your wrongdoings. You don't have to keep living like you're on the outside looking in. That can all change today. I'm here to declare the good news of the gospel. Your past can be blotted out. Your failures can be forgiven. Jesus is a God of new beginnings, and he wants to say to you here and now, I have a whole new future in store for you. I don't want you to just know where you came from. I want you to know where you're going. I mean, sure, there's a lot wrong in your past. There's a lot wrong in my past. But the invitation of God is about now, not then. Jesus says, come. Be forgiven. Receive my grace and love and acceptance. In me, there's all new life available to you. And I think as we take part in a ritual that Jesus himself began, receiving communion, it's as good a time as any to lay a hold of what he wants most for you, and that is friendship with Jesus. Communion is common union, sharing together in Jesus, celebrating what he's done for us. Remember, he asked us to remember. So take now the bread that you have in whatever form, doesn't really matter, cracker, bread crust, whatever. It's Jesus that makes this moment holy, not what kind of bread you have or what's in your cup. When Jesus gathered his friends for the Last Supper, the Bible tells us that Jesus took bread and he broke it and he gave it to his friends and he said, take this and eat. This is my body, which will be broken and given up for you. No one is taking my life. I give it voluntarily for you, for the forgiveness of sins, all sins. Let's take the bread. After supper, he took the cup and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Mine will be shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins to give you new life in me. Now let's take the cup. Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the sacrifice of Jesus, that he gave up his body voluntarily, allowed it to be broken so ours wouldn't have to be. Thank you for shedding your blood for the remission of our sins so our past can be blotted away Thank you so much. We receive what you've done for us. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, it's been great being with you this morning, um, and I've got something to uh, tell you about something upcoming. Gang, 
we are going to be gathering next Sunday p.m. for the first time. We'll be gathering together in four months. I mean, we all miss each other greatly, and we're going to have an informal event up at Gigi's house in Altamont Springs. We've had several events there in the past. It's a huge, open, two-room, indoor-outdoor space, so we can all kind of space ourselves out to everyone's comfort level. We'll each bring our own food and we'll enjoy some live worship and time with each other and fellowship at safe distances and a very, very brief word from me. Lots of us have been chomping at the bit to get back together again. Now, I will say this. If this is too much of a stretch for you right now, we understand. We get it. At some point, though, we're all going to have to stretch and trust God about this. But you do you. You do what God says. Ask God, do what he says, not me. But we'll be gathering together next Sunday night from 7 p.m. until about 8.30. We'll get to see each, uh, see each other and enjoy each other for the first time in a very, very long time. I really do hope to see you there. We will be back online here next Sunday morning for our normal Sunday morning service before the evening event next week. But until then, let me leave you with this, our little ritual. Go in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and remember, the God who came still comes, and the God who spoke still speaks. God bless you. Have a great Sunday.